the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news, and we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. All right, good morning and welcome to Oak Point Church West Bloomfield. I am your lead pastor, Joe Seastad. So good to be with here, here with you guys this morning. Uh, we are four weeks away from being done with this series, being through the book of Acts. You guys have hung in there for um, just a little amount of time, 39 weeks, I think is where we're at right now. So good job. And we're calling this series Scrappy Church, really taking a lesson from the first Christians of how they went about this thing called being a Christian and uh, being in church and being part of the bride of Christ. And we wanted to learn from them, to learn the principles that they've gone through. Last week, we saw how Governor Felix had some terrible thinking errors with how he went about uh, interacting with Paul and learning about the Christian worldview. We saw how he was pretty gun-shy to continue to investigate the worldview of Christianity that Paul was sharing with him. We saw that he was pretty guilty to continue reasoning with Paul about the Christian worldview. And we saw that he stopped advocating at all for, for this worldview. He left Paul trapped in a prison. Uh, Paul had a good amount of liberty in that prison. He wasn't really necessarily, he hadn't done anything proven wrong. And yet Felix kind of left him hanging there. I talked about how as an 18-year-old, I had some serious thinking errors too. My Christian baseball roommate was the only Christian I knew, and I steered clear of this guy, and I steered clear of anybody who wanted to talk about uh, things like Jesus, uh, Christian, or the Bible. Those three were trigger words for me, and I would not go anywhere near because of the thinking errors that, that I had at that time. And you probably encounter that with some of the people that you live near, or that you're in relationships with, or your family, or coworkers, people that will be good chatting with you about most things, but if you say the word Christian, if you say the word Bible or Jesus, then distance starts to get formed. So we talked about how to lean into those conversations with people and realize that people aren't projects. People are meant to be uh, your friends, to be in relationship with people. This week, the claim is that God wants good things for your life. And we see this all throughout scripture. Back to the Old Testament, we see in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So God is for you. God wants to be in relationship with you. He's going with you. There's another verse in the Bible that really matters a lot to me, and I think about it often. It's Psalm 16:6. that says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And it's this great reality that God has a good plan for your life, and you have like this wide open field to operate within to be doing good things with God, to be following his plan, to be doing things that are going to be fulfilling for you where you can live the abundant life. And yet there are also boundaries. God puts those boundaries there so that we don't cross over into things that are dangerous to us and to others and violate the relationship that we have with God. So those boundary lines, though, they've fallen in pleasant places. 
meaning that he's given us a great opportunity to walk this life the way that he wants for us, that's good for us. And God, he uses many methods to steer us. So for some people, if you read the Bible, that's enough for you, that you can go to the word of God and you can think about the boundary lines and the plan that God has for you. And if you stick to the word, you're good to go. For other people, it's that quiet time of prayer with the Lord. When God is kind of speaking to that still small voice of your heart and you can hear from God and you can know that he's directing you and you follow that. For other people, it's accountability, things like being in life group or being in relationship with one another. If, you, if you're able to share with other people, that's enough of a boundary line to keep you going on the plan that God has for you in your life. And when all else fails, because our God is for you and he wants good for you, he may introduce something called a goad into your life to keep you on that straight path with, with an abundant life, with boundary lines to go where he wants you to go. We're going to be talking about that word goad. If you don't know what that word means, that's okay. I'm going to show a little picture up here. A goad is a tool that was used back in agrarian culture, which most of the Bible is written at times when the main industry was farming. And so what would happen is ranchers would keep their ox in going down the path that they wanted them to go by using this tool. This tool has one very sharp point on the end of it. And what would happen is that when an oxen would start to steer off the path, going outside of the boundary lines, the loving rancher would give the oxen a little tap on the leg to stop um, going in that direction. So what do you think would happen? Most times the ox would understand that, hey, I'm going in the wrong path and they'd steer back to those pleasant places that the rancher has for them. But sometimes, if you get kind of a, a, a stubborn, thank you, a stubborn ox that doesn't want to go with the rancher's plan, what they would do is they would begin to kick against the goad. So this point that the rancher is putting behind the hind leg, they'd kick against it and be like, ah! And they, they'd kind of start walking again, and the rancher would try to bring him back, and ah! And like looking around, you know, and, and so the rancher would use this to keep the, to keep the ox going on, on the path. And so we're going to learn that term a little bit more today because this actually applies also to our walk with God. That God has pleasant boundary lines for us. God is like the rancher in this case, and we're like the oxen, and we're to walk in this path that God has for us. But sometimes, because he loves you and he wants good for you, he doesn't want you to go out, out of bounds He's going to use that goad in a spiritual way where when he does it, you're kicking against it and you're like, ah, you know, and you're looking around for what is God doing in your life at this time. He places goads in our lives that are going to cause us pain when we kick against them. Uh, I had a little piece of my shoe, a different pair of shoes that I used to run a little while ago, and it's like the heel piece where the plastic just broke and I had like this sharp point going right in the back of my heel and I went for a run with it. And it took me exactly one run <laughs> to decide that that pair of shoes needed to be fixed and I was gonna not do that anymore. God places spiritual goads in our lives 
to help us to decide whether we are going to continue to kick against his ways or go in the direction that he has for us. So for today, the recommendation is to stop kicking against goads. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why. We're going to cover all of chapter 25 and all of chapter 26 today. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to summarize for you all of chapter 25 and the first several verses of 26. And then we'll get in and look at those reasons why it's important to stop kicking against goads. So where we left off last week is that Governor Felix had left Paul imprisoned. And then Felix took a different assignment and a new guy comes on the scene. And Paul's in prison for like two years. And a new guy comes on the scene. His name's Governor Festus. Now, Festus must have missed the memo because he had no idea. He was so confused when he got into office as to who this guy Paul was, what was why he was in prison in the first place, and when he was going to get out. He like didn't have any clue. And so as the new governor, because the Jewish people were very important to the person who was in charge of Judea, he wanted to go and meet with them to just introduce himself and find out what's been going on in Judea. So what do you think the first thing they want to talk with Governor Festus is? It's all about Paul. And they want to share with this guy right away, like, look, this guy, Paul, bad dude. Like, we tried to take care of him and didn't work with Felix. You got to take care of this guy right away. So what Festus does is he calls like an informal hearing again. He he hears Paul's side. He hears um, their side, the Jewish high priest and the other officials and he, re- he figures out that he doesn't know anymore. He, he's very confused about what to do with this guy, Paul. He hasn't heard like a clear charge. He hasn't seen a witness. He hasn't seen anything compelling enough to have this guy continue to re- remain in prison. And Paul, he, de- he decided to ask for an appeal for his case to go up to Caesar. And the reason it was because Festus, this new governor, had said, maybe I'll just send you back to Jerusalem and let your own people, the Jewish people, deal with you. And he's, he knew that was an unfair thing to do. Paul did. So he said, I want to go up to Caesar. And so Festus, being a new governor and sort of earning his stripes, he knew that he couldn't just let Paul go up to Caesar without understanding his case a little bit more. He'd look very non-competent if he just sent Paul up the chains. So Festus had a need to learn all about Paul so he could write a report to have him go up to Caesar. And so to do that, Festus invited another person into the picture who is King Herod Agrippa II. And his purpose of bringing King Herod Agrippa II in was to have him help to figure out what is going on with this guy, Paul. Now, before I get into scripture, Just a little background on King Herod Agrippa II. This guy is son of King Herod Agrippa I. And the reason why that person's name is important is because that's the person who killed the apostle James. And he's the one who had imprisoned Peter and wanted to kill Peter. He was also the grand nephew of Herod Antipas, who is the person who killed John the Baptist. And he was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, the one who killed all of the Hebrew children between ages zero and two at the birth of Jesus, trying to kill Jesus. 
So this guy came from a long line of Herods, and the, the thing that was in common with all of them is that they hated anybody who loved Jesus. And he's going to become, I'm going to call him Agrippa from here on out, he's going to become the, one of the main characters in this story today. And there's another person with him, just realized that incest was like alive and well back in Roman times. The other person's name is Bernice, happens to be Agrippa's sister and lover. So just so that's going on, if you ever think like the Bible's bland and has like no drama, like just realize that we've got that type of thing going on. So with that, let's look at a few reasons why we should stop kicking against the goads. Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 9, says this. And this is Paul's defense. He's getting into his testimony. I I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light shone from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice to me, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. There we go, that kick against the goads in there. So here Paul is, he's giving his testimony as part of his defense to both Governor Felix and Agrippa. They're all there and he's getting into the part of his defense where he's sharing his testimony. And he's going back, we've, we've seen this testimony now, this is the third time, uh, it goes back to Acts chapter 9, and he's talking about his, his life growing up and, and how he was raised very fanatic for his religion. He was actually the one that would orchestrate killing and murders of early Christians. He's like, that's how I was raised. And then he tells of this miraculous event that happened back in Acts chapter 9, where he was blinded by lights where he hears this voice saying, Saul, because that was his name in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he adds this tidbit to the testimony that happened. He just hadn't shared it before in these other verses of Acts where Jesus says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So what goads was Paul kicking against? What we see here is that Jesus, who we know as Redeemer, Great High Priest, Savior, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Healer, we know all these things about Jesus, What Jesus does is he is offering to the Apostle Paul, this time known as Saul in the Hebrew language, grace. He's offering Saul grace. And what he's saying is that, man, I'm giving you some grace here. And what Paul is doing is he's like, ah! 
kicking against the goads of God's grace being graciously offered to him through the reality that Jesus is the one that this student of the rabbi Gamaliel saw this religious Pharisee who is the Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the whole Old Testament like the back of his hand. For him, he knew about the coming Messiah and the promise. What Jesus is saying is that who you're persecuting is me. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And he's saying, stop kicking against the goads. What you're doing, Paul, what you're doing, Saul, is you are harming yourself because I am offering you grace. And if you keep kicking against my grace, it's going to hurt you. You know, so Saul was kicking against the goads. He was kicking against the goads of Jesus's grace, that Jesus is fully God and fully man who came to this earth as the sinless one to go to the cross to take on our sins. For anybody who would call on him as Lord, your sins are forgiven at the cross of Christ. He took that punishment for you and he rose from the dead. What Jesus is saying, stop kicking against this grace that I am offering to you. So Saul was kicking against that. Saul was also inevitably, I mean, we don't have this in scripture. I'm taking a little bit of a leap here. I've got to believe this guy was had to have been kicking against the goads of the memories that he had of all the terrible things that he did to the church when it was first starting out. I mean, we, we read back at Stephen's stoning as Stephen is, is crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It says that Saul was there and they were putting their coats at his feet, which is like Saul was the one who approved of the execution Saul had memories flashing through his mind, I'm sure, of all of the terrible things that he had done to Christians. And in that moment, when that, when that light came from the sky and Jesus is like, stop kicking against the goads, that is when Saul realizes what he's been doing this whole time. Maybe for you, it wasn't a light from the sky moment. <laughs> you know, often God comes to us in a lot more subtle ways. But maybe you've been kicking against a goad or two in your life. I know what that feels like. I have done that before as a Christian. I've kicked against the goads. One recently was close to a year ago. My wife, because I love her and she loves me and she cares for me and, I, and she knows me better than anybody else, she had been seeing several things about me being a pastor. You know, one is that she is connected with other pastors' wives and she understands the types of needs that pastors have. And she realizes that they're in counseling because that's a very good thing for a pastor to do. You're kind of just like shouldering so much kind of stress and, and you're right there in people's lives so much that you've got to do self-care. And, and she was saying to me things like, you know, you're a sheep before you're a shepherd, that you've got to like understand that people need to come alongside you to help you out. So I, my wife, because she loves me, was encouraging me to go into counseling as a pastor. Not because there was like big problems. It was because she loved me and wanted well for me. She wanted to have 
She wanted to be used by God to show that the boundary lines are in pleasant places for my life and the stress that I'm carrying from the busyness of life and ministry is something I should get some help with a, with a counselor. So when she shared that to me for the first time, what I did is, ah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to go to counseling. I don't need counseling. And so she was very patient. She was being used by the Lord. A couple weeks went by and she's praying about this every day. And she comes to me another time and just is like, hey, like, I can help you to do this. What do you need me to do? Like, just tell me whatever it is. I think it's really good for you to talk with somebody other than just me and just Phil and your staff. Like, it'd be good for you to have your own person outside the church so you can talk about things. And again, I said, no way, I don't need it. Ah! And I, like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't need that. And finally, I was like, okay, here's the deal. If you do all of the paperwork that has to go along with it, if you set up my first meeting, I will give this guy one try. Like, I'm going to softly fire him after one, but I'll give him one chance. Like, one opportunity. He's got, like, literally 45 minutes. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I will give it one shot. And she's like, fine. So she made my first appointment with this guy that I've been seeing for like a year now, and I don't miss a single week. He has become like a guy that I truly love and I need him in my life. Like I don't say that word need very loosely. Like he is a guy who is in my corner, but it took me deciding not to kick against the goads of my beautiful wife's message to me, which was, I think that this would be good for you. You know, for us... We have opportunities to realize that there are goads that God has set up in our life. Maybe it's a message from your spouse. Maybe it is a circumstance that you're dealing with that just starts to hurt after a while. And we can decide to have that hurting stop and not kick against the goads. For the Apostle Paul, verse 15 I think is his moment with the Lord. I think verse 15 is the, is the time when Paul decided that it's done. I'm done kicking against the goads. It says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I believe in that moment as Paul was blinded by the light, as he is um, going to be led along by hand into Damascus, I believe that all of Paul's study, all of his theology, all of his knowledge about God and who Messiah would be, the promises of God all throughout the Old Testament, I think it came into complete fruition for him as he realizes for the first time that he had been kicking against the goads. And Paul's journey from that point on, when he realized that it was Jesus whom he was persecuting, when he decided to stop kicking against goads, he began the journey to stop hurting anymore. You know, think about that. Think about that ox who continues to be poked by the loving rancher wanting to keep them in the pleasant boundary lines of life. If they keep going outside, they're going to develop a terrible wound that's going to be like bleeding all over the place. For Paul, he was bleeding and he didn't even realize it. 
And when Jesus shows him that he'd been kicking against the goads of his grace, Paul stops kicking. And for the first time, he is going to start to begin the healing, which we'll talk about next. So let me ask you, let me just get, let me get really personal with you, all right? Think about a goad in your life that you are kicking against, that you know that there is something that is hurting. It hurts you on a spiritual level. It hurts your heart. It's like a, it's like a leech attached to your heart that you know that when you're going in that direction, that pain just gets more. It's an open wound that you are kicking against the Lord on. What is that thing? For some, it might be the stubbornness like I had. I was stubborn. I didn't want to take the advice of my wife. Maybe it's stubbornness for you. There's something going on in your life right now where, where you are just being stubborn and because you're being stubborn, it's like every step you take, you're going, ah, you know, and you're, you're feeling the pain of the goad, the gentle tap from the Lord through whatever circumstance he's using to guide you back. Are you stubborn? Is that what you're dealing with right now? For some of us, it's pride. It is the fact that we think that we are all that and we've got a lot of problems, each one of us. And and maybe that pride is actually rooted in insecurity that we know that we aren't. Maybe it's self-doubt, but it manifests with pride. What is that goad that you're facing? Perhaps for some people, it's, it's the terrible affliction of addiction to something. That each time you do that thing, you know the pain that you are feeling on the inside. It's not something so easy as putting a Band-Aid on it on the outside. It is hurting your heart each time that you give in. So what goad are you kicking against? Our Lord offers us gentle correction to come back to his boundary lines that are set in pleasant places so that the hurting can stop and the healing can begin. And that's the next point is that when you stop kicking goads, you start healing. Verse 16 says this, Arise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, which you have seen me, and, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The amazing thing about God in the way that he comes into our lives as we stop resisting him, as we stop kicking against goads and feeling the pain and hurt that comes from that, the amazing thing about God is that he offers us healing. For the Apostle Paul, his healing initially came to him through the forgiveness, forgiveness of his sins. He realized for the very first time that God had brought him from, it says, darkness to light. That is spiritual darkness. What Paul realized and what you should realize is that when Jesus enters your heart, when you turn to him as Lord, when you repent, which means to turn around from the path that you've been walking, 
you move away from spiritual darkness, loneliness. And I'm not talking even in just this life. It is this life. What I'm talking about is that uh, we live in just a little sliver of eternity. There is an eternal spectrum that each one of us will live. Whether you are with Jesus or not, you will live for eternity. Your soul will live forever. For those who are walking in darkness, your soul, after your time on this earth, we are just travelers. This life is over like that. You will pass into utter darkness, in fear, in loneliness, in torment, the Bible says. What happened with the Apostle Paul, what's happened with most of you, what's happened with me, is that when Jesus entered our heart, when we chose to respond to that and we repented of our sins and we turned to Christ, the light bulb came on. The light came on. We got assurance that no matter no matter what we do in this life, that we are going to be with God in heaven in the, the amazingness of his grace forever. That we are with him. We go from darkness to light, spiritual transformation. That was the first thing that happened with Paul in this journey toward healing when he stopped kicking against the goads. Look, you might be wrestling with something about the faith right now. I pray that you are. If you are wrestling with something about the faith, what it means is that what we're talking about here has so much impact that you should be wrestling about this. This shouldn't be something where you just think about it and then you walk away and work on the next thing you go to lunch. No, like this should impact your soul. And when you start wrestling with this, you realize that you need a solution to the problem of sin. That solution is Jesus. Because he offers forgiveness for sins. And that's the first level of healing. And the amazing thing about God is that he doesn't stop at just forgiveness of sins. You know, church and being a Christian is not just about getting our past to heaven. And, and like whatever we do is, is enough. No, like God does way more than that with us. For Paul, it was that he changed Paul's identity. He went from being a persecutor of the church, a villain of God, to becoming a servant and a witness, it says. His whole identity changed the moment that he stopped kicking against goads and he decided to turn to Jesus and accept the healing that he offered him. That didn't take very long for Jesus to encounter Saul like that. It all happened in that moment. When we turn to Christ, many things happen right in a moment. We have been adopted into the family of God through Christ in that moment where we accept his salvation. We have been forgiven of our sins. The Bible says that we have been lavished by the grace of God. We become co-heirs with Christ. We get to have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in that moment. God walks into our life and he does those things and it doesn't take long. He keeps growing us through this Christian walk. He keeps showing us more of his grace and more of his mercy and more of his love. But God operates that healing very quickly when we turn to him. 
you know, all it took was a few days after I took that one shoe off that had the thing poking in my heel. All it took was a few days for that scab to form and for me to start to get better. All it took was a few weeks for my time with my counselor for him to realize that there were things going on with my, the way that my mind was working and my heart that were not helpful for the way that I wanted to operate with managing stress and managing anxiety. Crazy as it sounds, maybe for some of you, is that I had the mindset walking into counseling that it was not a good thing to ever talk about anything bad. <laughs> I thought that if I talked about things that were bad, if I, if I felt bad, that, that something must be wrong. And what he did is he showed me like, no, it's good for you to express if you're feeling bad about something, it's great to get that out. Like actually say how you feel. And that was like a light bulb moment for me is the healing began to start for me because I realized I don't have to pretend that everything's good when it's not. God works in that way in our lives too. And by the way, with the counseling, I'm not saying that you should be in counseling or that you need counseling. I'm just saying that for me, this is what was important. More importantly than counseling, God wants to work in your life to bring healing. He wants to enter in. You're struggling with something right now. What would be the exact opposite of that thing that you're struggling with right now? Because God wants to work in those spaces in your life. If you struggle with anger, what would it look like to have peace? Every time that you get anger, angry and irritated, what would it look like to have peace? If you struggle with lust, what would it look like to be content in your current relationship status? If you struggle with something like greed, what would it look like to be and feel generous? You know, so imagine a pattern that of life where you are struggling with something. Imagine if that pattern was completely flipped. Our God works in those spaces. If you think there's no way that that thing is going to be healed by him, stop kicking against the goads. Whatever warning signals are going on in your life, when you read in God's word, that might be a warning signal. When you pray, you feel something on your conscience, that's a warning signal. When somebody in your life group is talking about something and you hear them, and they might not be talking directly at you, but you hear what they're saying and it means something to you, that might be a warning signal. What would it look like if you stopped kicking against goads and you stopped reasoning, there's no way that that's going to work for me. And you imagined a life that had a pattern completely flipped. How much healing would that bring to you? How much more fulfilled would your life feel? And I wonder if the first step in that journey for you is to stop kicking against the goads. Whatever God has put in your life, whatever boundary lines he's using people to show to you, what would it look like if you stopped kicking against those goads? So we've looked at two reasons why it might be beneficial for each of us to stop kicking against goads. We saw that you stop hurting, that you start healing. And finally, this one, when you stop kicking goads, you start helping. This part, Paul is going to, in his defense, you know, he's before Governor Festus and King Agrippa. 
he's going to turn the conversation really into like an evangelistic move. He's going to start to share Christ with them. He's going to get really personal with them. And what he's doing is he's offering them help. So let's pick it back up in verse 19. Paul says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Just a quick pause. Remember last week when I was walking on college campus and the sidewalk chalk and there was like invites to crew and I went there and I found out what it was all about. And when they said the word Christian, I was like, oh, thank you for the handout. I'll I'll see you guys later. And I I steered like way clear of that conversation because it felt weird. It felt like out of their mind a little bit, you know, because I didn't really understand. Check out what happens here. The Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus as being the first to rise from the dead. And that's not only like chronologically, it's not really so much chronologically, it's like first place. Like Jesus is first place. Like he's because of his resurrection, we all rise. So check out what happens next after he says that. Um, Verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. (laughs) Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. Now check out what Paul does next. Like, so for some of us, for me, when I'm getting in that, in that situation, if you've ever been called out for like being a little crazy for what you believe as being a Christian, what I tend to do, like my natural inclination is to sort of start to shrink back a little bit. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, being your pastor, like I'm ashamed of that. Sometimes I step into it, but sometimes I like step back because I don't like the discomfort. Check out what Paul does. I mean, man, I just like love learning from him. These are the patterns that should inspire us. But Paul said, not on my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For, for the king knows about these things. So he's basically like talking with Festus. Then he like starts talking to King Agrippa. He's like, I'm just going to take it up a notch. For the, for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except these chains, except for these chains. Paul, when he is confronted with somebody trying to slander the knowledge that he had been given from God saying that he is crazy, that he is a lunatic, that he is out of his mind. 
Paul took that as a badge of honor, knowing, realizing that he was looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith that was told the same things, and he just doubled down. He tripled down. He's like, all right, Festus, you say that. I'm going to King Agrippa. Agrippa, I'm not out of my mind. And by the way, you know these things are true because he knew that King Herod Agrippa was Jewish, at least nominally Jewish. He knew the prophets. He knew Moses. He's like, you know these things. And by the way, Christianity, it hasn't been done in this corner. It's not like we've been just hiding out. We've been broadcasting this everywhere. We haven't done anything wrong. You know it's true. I know it's true. Do you believe? He just like amps it up. I love that about the Apostle Paul. He takes a shot when he, when he has it. He's like, He's on a, on a course, you know, we saw back that he had been told by Jesus that he was going to be, uh, carry his name to what the, 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 the people of Israel, who are the Jewish people, the Gentiles, the kings into Rome. Right now he's doing the thing with the kings. He's like coming right to the King Agrippa and sharing these things, coming right toward him with the gospel. He's helping Agrippa with his courage. He was planting seeds of the gospel, even if he would die the next day. Even if Agrippa didn't come to faith in that moment, what the apostle Paul did was he planted seeds of the gospel in Agrippa's life for the chance of the Lord to move in Agrippa's life and Agrippa to surrender his life and come to faith is what Paul was doing that for at some point in the future. We don't know what happened with Agrippa. We don't know if those words that Paul sowed that day in his defense made their way the 12-inch journey from the head to the heart. We don't know if that happened. There's not more account of what happened with King Agrippa II. But we do know is that Paul was faithful to help him. And look, you have no clue how much God may use your commitment and courage to share the truth of the gospel somewhere down the road in somebody's life. I heard a testimony this week of somebody who did that, like years before in somebody's life, shared the gospel in a one-time encounter and then like wasn't friends with this person, like never saw that person again. And like six, seven years later, realized that the conversation they had with that person that day, that person turned to the Lord Jesus that day. And like seven years later, whatever it is, like told them, oh yeah, you like led me to faith. You probably don't even realize it because he was courageous to share the gospel. The guy I was talking about last week, High Pockets, if you guys were here, my baseball teammate, I haven't talked to that guy since I was a sophomore in college. I'm ashamed to admit I haven't said hi to him. I've been, a, I've been a Christian for 12 and a half years. I've never reached out to him. So what I did yesterday is I reached out to him. And I clicked on him. I realized this guy has had like a faith-filled life, like from what I could tell, looking at his background, like publicly known for who he is. And I can't wait to meet him. I'm gonna see if I can maybe even meet with him this week. He planted seeds of the gospel by the way he lived his life as we were driving on a bus to baseball games. As I just chalked him up as being weird, he planted seeds of the gospel back then that came to fruition years and years later. So our lesson, what, what would it look like if even in random occurrences, you do things to help others when you stop kicking against the goads and you share your faith? Because it's possible. You could be 
You could be healed up with the Lord. You could have, the, the hurting stopped a long time ago because you came to faith in Christ. And the healing has already taken its course. Like you feel close to the Lord. It's possible that you could still be kicking against those goads because of what God wants you to do to help other people through expressing to them how you live your life, the things you post, the things you say, how you are as a friend, how you are as a neighbor. What are those things in your life that God wants you to do to be helpful toward other people and stop kicking against the goads? I'm going to invite the band to come back up now. And the bottom line today is that God's goads help us to obey him. Look, I want to encourage you. If you're struggling with something right now, I want to invite you to come up to one of these two prayer banners. There are going to be people here to pray with you. Because when we come to somebody else and we get it off of our chest, the thing that we are struggling with, the goads that we are kicking against, when we confess that to a brother or possibly to a sister over here, when we come to them and share those things, it's one step in the journey to have the hurting stop, the healing to start, and start to help other people. I want to invite you to come up for prayer. If there's somebody here that you would admit right now that you're not a Christian, and, and maybe in your mind, you don't want to say anything offensive to anybody, but you're like, it's a little bit irrational and people are crazy who are. You might not like say that out loud because you're nice, but like that's what you think. I want to ask you a question. Are you kicking against the goads? Are you just like the Apostle Paul? This guy ended up having an amazing life. Are you just like he was when he was called by Saul in the Hebrew language? And you've been kicking against the goads. You know enough. You know that Jesus is the way, but there's something that you are kicking against to turn to him. And if that's you, I just want to tell you, look, there's no shame in this room. You, you can turn to Jesus right now and accept forgiveness for your sins, begin a life with God through him, and stop kicking against the goads. If that's you, I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. For the rest of us, knowing that it's possible to kick against the goads and it's possible to keep getting hurt, what are you going to do to cooperate with God then? What are you going to do to choose not to wander so closely to the boundary line and go out of bounds so often? What are you going to do instead to say yes to the warnings? and to stop kicking against the goads. Would you bow your heads for prayer? There's probably somebody in here that's hurting right now. And you strongly desire, you want the pain to stop. And if you think about it, there's things that you've done to contribute to that pain. You know there's a more pain-free option available, but you've been kicking against the goads. And if that's you and you want that healing to stop, would you raise your hand? I see you. Is there somebody here today that is ready for the healing journey to kick more in to the next gear? Sure, you've been saved. You're, you've been forgiven of your sins, but there's still 
a leech on your soul that you can't seem to find healing from, you'd love to see that opposite happen. Maybe for the stubbornness to turn to joy or that lust to turn to contentment or something else. And you want to heal. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see a lot of us. Maybe it's the helping. Maybe it's the reality that you know that you're right with God and you know that you haven't been helping enough. And this isn't a guilt trip. This is more recognition. This is realizing that there have been opportunities where God has put something in front of you and you've actually kicked against the goads that he's put in front of you. And instead, you want to begin a helping journey with other people. If that's you, raise your hand. A lot of us. Finally, is there somebody here today that for the first time, it's time to stop kicking against the goads and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see you. So for the young man who raised his hand, I want to just offer prayer. Um, this is between you and God. This isn't me praying for you. This is me praying alongside you. So what you want to do is realize that this is your prayer to the Lord. And, and you're praying, realizing that Jesus is the Lord of your life. That you are turning away from the way that you've been living and turning to Christ. So let's pray. God, I've gone a certain direction in my young life. And maybe it's not bad by the world's standards or my friends, but I realized, Lord, that, that I have sinned, that I have done things that have been against your will. So that makes me a sinner. And yet, Lord, you are offering me grace. And so right now I want to accept that grace and I want to turn to Jesus Christ as Lord. Realizing, Jesus, that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. That you rose from the dead, defeating the grave. So I put my trust in you right now, Lord. And I know that by doing that, I have been forgiven of my sins. I've been saved and I've been given blessing. So Lord, I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen.